Hey, it's John Goldman. You're listening to Johnny Secret Stash, and you're listening to us on Radio Harbor Country. That's WRHC 106.7 FM out of Three Oaks, Michigan, and WRHZ 93.5 out of Sawyer, Michigan. Uh, Johnny Secret Stash is underwritten by Kara's Cottages, one of downtown Kalamazoo's first Airbnbs. Kara's Cottages are within walking distance of local shops, breweries, and some of Michigan's most beautiful walking trails. Additional information at karascottages.com. That's Kara's and Cottages with a K. Uh, looking forward to today's show. We're going to have Ben Wright and John Goldfine, both from uh, Hen House Prowlers, a Chicago bluegrass band. Uh, these guys are uh, the bluegrass ambassadors for the United States. They go all over the world, and they introduce bluegrass in America to other countries, and they also do all kinds of very interesting things locally uh, in schools and uh, on top of touring with Hen House Prowlers where you know they tour all around the country and all around the world. Um, they're uh, going to be playing at the Acorn Theater on August, um, August on October 27th, but um, had the opportunity to, or I'm having the opportunity to talk with them while they're on a little break from uh, their tour. Uh, next week, they're going to Virginia and, um, and uh, 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 North Carolina, I believe, later in the week. So they've got a pretty busy week coming up, but uh, they had some time this week and looking forward to talking with them. In the meantime, they've just released a new album called Lead and Run. And we're going to listen to some of that right now. Here's the top song from that uh, album called My Last Run.
House Prowlers with Last Run from their brand new album, Lead and Run. And uh, now joining me are John Goldfine and Ben Wright. Uh, John, Ben, hi, how are you? I have uh, John Goldfine and Ben Wright on the line with me today. Um, how are you gentlemen doing? And thanks so much for coming on the show. This is really, I really appreciate Hello. it and I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, thanks for having us. Good to be with you. So uh, we're, we're, we're excited to be here. Uh, ben and John are, um, are members of the Hen House Prowlers. And uh, uh, Ben is the banjo player and John is the bass player. Uh, John, do, do you play, um, uh, you, you know, I know you play a stand-up bass, which is just yeah. my absolute delightful favorite. I love a good stand-up bass and, and you, you do it well. Uh, do you ever play, a, um, you know, a, a guitar style bass? When, oh yeah! Oh, do yeah, you, I, you do as well? Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, uh, I mean, actually, in in junior high school, I, I first started playing the upright bass in the junior high school orchestra. But then, you know, at that age, all I wanted, I, you know, I I I'm like, I got to get a bass guitar because you know I wanted to play rock and roll, and uh, right. Eventually, stopped playing the upright bass for a long time uh, because, like I said, at, at you know, in in seventh grade and eighth grade, I didn't, I didn't want to have anything to do with orchestra. I want to play rock and roll. <laughs> yeah. Usually <laughs> it's like you suffer through, you know, band orchestra and junior high and high school with the hopes that you'll get to, you know, develop some skills so you can play in a band, a, a garage band or rock band or something like that. But, uh, um, yeah. you, you were kind of rejecting that early on. Did, did you actually play in the, <laughs> in the uh, high school band? Uh, yeah, in the, in, yeah, in the, in the high school orchestra, um, it was all just all the stringed instruments playing in the orchestra. Oh yeah, and, uh, I did play for about a year and a half in that. Um, before I, I you know later on, of course, came to very much regret quitting. Um, but at the time, it was just what I had to do. Right, right. Yeah, you, <laughs> you had to you had to define yourself, I guess. What kind yeah. of music? What kind of music did you guys listen to growing up? Because bluegrass is a um you know it's a little esoteric it's not your typical kind of music that that kids these days um you know gravitate towards and um but at the same time you guys have not just made it this this thing that you do i mean you are educating the world about bluegrass you are the example for the world as uh you know the origin and and the latest in bluegrass so uh you know what what was your influences as you were growing up uh, yeah i think we both we both are going to have very different answers for that i think uh, i would expect yeah, it. you you, <laughs> you go first john uh i mean i grew up you know m with um my parents were both like classical 
musicians. My dad played trombone and oh, my really? mom was an opera singer. Oh, wow. Uh, and so that's why I was, I, I think I just, I, maybe that's kind of why I rejected that. Cause I, I think it's kind of a thing to reject what your parents are trying to put on you. Well, sure. Yeah. <laughs> you know, as, as a kid. And, um, but, but in addition to that, though, I really grew up on like, you know, oldies radio, which, you know, oldies radio in the, in the 1980s was 50s and 60s right. rock and roll. Right, right. Um, cause that's what I would listen, you know, when I was in the car with my mom, that's what she had on the radio. And I loved that. And really, I think I got, I like to think I learned to sing harmonies from singing along with that stuff. So um, what kind of bands, I mean, when you're saying 80s or, uh, or the oldies, you're not talking about like, you know, Crosby, Stills and Nash, where there was oh, some good, sure. uh, oh, there was okay. some of that and, and the Beatles. Oh, I right. Know, I really, really got into the Beatles, uh, especially as I got older. Um, and, uh, you know, I mean, just the stuff that was on oldies radio, Chuck Berry was on. Oh yeah. You know, definitely. And, uh, um, uh, Fats Domino and Little Richard and, and, uh, right, um, right. Those are just the, the ones that are coming to my brain right now. Yeah. Um, but, um, you know, and then of course I, I really got, you know, as far as stuff that was popular when I was a kid, um, you know, I really got into Bruce Springsteen. Um, you know, he was kind of like, became my, uh -huh. my go-to for, you know, uh, still is kind of my, my favorite when it comes to songwriting and like a live performer. Um, I think he's, he kind of sets a sets the standard in for brain. sure he um, he's unbelievable what he's in his mid-70s i'd say and he is does yeah, like I these four-hour shows and just yeah, non-stop too he's got so much energy he and he you know looks like a 35 year old he's you know really fit <laughs> uh although right, i think he got yeah. sick recently didn't he have he to cancel did. some he shows he has he's had to cancel a bunch of shows um that's a shame but uh yeah. Did you yeah, um have you ever checked out his his uh, autobiography? It's it's just fascinating. You know, it talks about he picked up his uh first guitar after um seeing Elvis Presley and and that's all it took, you know, that kind of thing. We all have our yeah, origin I have, stories. I, I have heard that story. I never read that particular book. Um but I've heard him tell that story often. Yeah, um, he did that um uh that that thing on Broadway. Um where he yeah. kind of had this returning engagement that was supposed Indeed. to be really, really cool. Actually, I think they replayed it on Netflix, so um, it was uh, widely available. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Easy, easy to watch. And yeah, we digress. Yeah. So, uh, oh, yeah. And Ben, <laughs> so what, what uh, kind and of... Then, and, then, and, then, and then Bluegrass. So, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I really, I, I'd stopped playing music for a long time, like through college and... Um, and beyond college. And, uh, I moved to this tiny town in Northern California called Tres Pinos. And that's where I lived when I started to play music again. Uh, I picked up my bass and, um, I was just looking for anyone to play music with and, uh, didn't care what kind of music they were playing. Um, and I met some folks that were playing some bluegrass. Wow. Uh, so that was really, and then, you know, and then I went to a bluegrass festival in Northern California, um, the, the California Bluegrass Association puts on a festival every Father's Day weekend. So I went to that. This was back in, this was 2000, 2001 and 2002. And that's so when I... after Jerry Garcia got, was out of, uh, out of the game. It was. Yeah, because he and Dave Grisman had their little thing, uh, you know, um, where they did a couple albums, I think. 
yeah, Dave Grisman still really, part of yeah. that group, uh, that crowd out there when when you went? Um, yeah, he was. He was definitely. I, I saw him a few times when I was living out that way uh, with his quintet. Yeah. Um, so he's definitely very much still a, a figure out there, um, and in the whole, you know, in the whole bluegrass and doggrass genre. Doggrass, right, right, yeah. with a A W G. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so, but yeah, that's, that's when bluegrass, you know, got me. Um, and I never imagined that really at the time, even that I would wind up playing bluegrass for a living. I, I kind of saw it as something I'd want to have a, you know, I'd have a side bluegrass band. Um, but still play and play, you know, my, my main gig would be a, a rock band or a rock jazz fusion band or something. Um, but this, uh, this is the band that, that, took off yeah yeah kept me busy i guess you could say right you know my impression of bluegrass has always been it's a a real you know i don't know down home or traditional or um you know kind of like how blues is to rock you know it's um it's it's just the simplest form or in its simplest form it's like the building blocks for you know later music and i always sort of looked at bluegrass being like that too a little bit of folk well, you know, tell stories, um, and but it's it's sort of a base level of of music, but at the same time, it's incredibly complicated and intricate and technical. I mean, you guys are you know outstanding musicians. You're not just it's not it's you know it almost has a jug band sound, but at the same time, it's almost the opposite of a jug band, which is you know just a lot of household materials as instruments. So. You, you know, you really yeah. have to you really have to know your instrument well, uh, and you know, be accomplished in being able to play. You know, you're not just strumming up there. I guess I should say. Um, hi, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so, um, Ben, we were talking about um, you know influences and stuff. Uh, and I don't know if you're older than John or younger than John, but uh, I do know oh, that way younger. Yeah, <laughs> way younger. Yeah. yeah. Oh, so many years. Well, I do know that at, <laughs> in 1999, at the age of 23, you walked by the Old Town School of Music and saw a banjo and bought your first banjo. Is that Was I right about that? That's true. That's, that, that actually happened. <laughs> your age were you, comes out. <laughs> were you uh, um, playing music before that, or how, how did you? Uh, not really. I mean, I, I, I was in choir in high school. Oh, okay. Uh, because my because my mom wanted me to uh, be <laughs> musical. Like she, my mom was a, a, a flautist and, uh, and actually went to, to college for, for music, but ended up becoming a, a fourth grade teacher and because she kind of fell out of love of teaching music. But still, she knew the value of music and had me participating in it one way or another. But it wasn't until I moved to Chicago that I recognized that I wanted to learn how to play an instrument. Uh, and that was how that kind of day happened where I walked by the old town school and saw a banjo in the window and just kind of on the spot decided that was going to be it. Um, so, so my musical like youth is not connected to my musical present. Uh, like I listened to rock and roll and different Metallica, a lot of various different things in Uh. high school. But it was buying the banjo was what started me moving towards 
bluegrass. I, I had a teacher early on who every week would give me a new album to listen to, and I just slowly fell in love with the genre. And uh, pretty quickly after that, found John. Uh, and we started making music together. I mean, I mean, back pretty quickly. I mean, a couple of years. Uh huh. Um, you know, I I put some time in on the banjo, and then started looking for people to play with, and uh, and that was kind of how we all met each other. Was we were all hungry to play, and you know, we get this kind of question like, well, how do you find bluegrass musicians in Chicago? And it's like, well, Chicago actually has millions of musicians. Yeah. And, some of some of them are going to love bluegrass and you're going to find each other right uh, you know you, you all go to the same shows and and all that and so we uh eventually got introduced to each other and uh I, john you remember this better than me uh i mean i remember um we both kind of were connected to this band called the backports ramblers um and my first gig with them was Ben's last gig with them. Oh, uh, wow. Ben hadn't been to any of the rehearsals because, you know, he was leaving the band. Why show up to the rehearsals? Uh, uh. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I remember meeting, I was Tommy Nevins in Evanston, Illinois. Oh, yeah, I remember that. was the place. Uh-huh. I remember it was like right around Halloween, maybe the, I think it was the night before Halloween in 2003 when we played that gig. And I remember meeting Ben on the sidewalk uh, and basically rehearsing, running songs for the show on the sidewalk outside of the bed. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. yeah, I remember that too. <laughs> and I, I mean, so, since then, I mean, you and you guys actually formed Hen House Prowlers, I think, what, 2007 or so? Uh, and so it's taken a couple turns since then. And um, remind my audience of the um, other members of Hen House Prowlers today. Yeah, we've got uh, Chris Dollar on guitar, um, who's been with us for more than five years now. Uh, and he's he's from Bloomington, Indiana. Uh, we found him many years ago and waited for the right moment to snap him up. Uh, and then uh, Jake Howard on mandolin, who comes from Akron, Ohio. Uh, and we we found him right as the right before the pandemic hit. Uh, we did a a tour with him down to the southeast and we were just like oh my gosh this is really working can't wait to do more shows with this guy and then poof everything got shut down oh right um, yeah. so yeah but we've been able to make two albums with uh with this lineup and it's definitely like my, my favorite lineup ever yeah, you guys really do seem to be having a good time. I will say that. And uh, yeah. your your album Lead and Iron just uh, came out, right? Um, within the last couple of weeks, just uh, just Friday. Last oh Friday. wow! Yeah. Okay, so it really just came out. Well, this is uh, mm -hmm. pretty exciting then. And um, we did play, you know, at the before before we started talking, um, I played it on the uh, played it ahead of of us uh, having this discussion. Um, and, uh, it, it's just outstanding, you know, really it fits, it fills all the, all the spaces, uh, for, for an outstanding bluegrass song. I mean, it's a, another really good song from you guys. Congratulations. And, um, Thanks. so, and, and, and now you're, I mean, it seems like you guys are doing, do a lot of touring and I notice that you've got a pretty full schedule where 
you know, one day you're in Virginia, one day you're in Florida and you're just kind of going all over the place. Um, is that, is that have anything to do with your role at, with the bluegrass ambassadors? I mean, I know you have this sort of alter ego as an educational and, um, ambassador kind of group where you go around the country, you go around the Chicago area and, you know, you, you teach kids and you, you know, you have different programs that you do. Um, how did the bluegrass ambassadors get started? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's all, uh, uh, there's a lot to it. Um, so the, the back in 2011, um, we got our first opportunity to work with the state department, uh, doing what, uh, what's called cultural diplomacy work. Uh, and we, that amounts to them sending us to various parts of the world um, and becoming what, you know, cultural diplomats. We use culture to connect people across uh, different lines. Uh, and in our case, that culture is bluegrass music. Um, and are there other, are there other bands that do that same kind of thing for different genres? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Anybody, um, uh, you know, like who's the rock and roll ambassador or who's the, <laughs> you know, are there other big names that are doing these kinds of things for the state department? Yeah, there are. Um, it's funny. You're asking that. I, if you'd asked me six months ago, I could have told you off the top of my head. Oh, that's okay. Um, no, no worries. Because <laughs> during, during the pandemic, I wor I got actually got a job working with them, and so Aberdeen. There's a there's a rock and roll band. That oh, does okay. A lot of it. Uh huh. Um, and yeah, like there's if it's if there's an American genre of music, there's probably a band or two that does cultural diplomacy work with it. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and so we happen to be one of the ones that does bluegrass, and we've done it a lot at this point. And uh, these tours were pretty uh, uh, moving for us. They definitely changed a lot of the paradigm of what performing means to us. And really, it was the inspiration for starting a nonprofit, which is Bluegrass Ambassadors. Right. And, and starting to use those experiences and our love for teaching to build educational programs. And so, um, so yeah, like it's, it's a big part of what we do. We, I'd say about three quarters to 80% of what we do is performing as the hen house prowlers. And then we fold in, uh, educational work for the rest of it, uh, whenever we can. And we're lucky enough to have a, a team that understands that and uh, and we promote it that way. You yeah, know, we're going to IBM. We're going to IBMA next week, which is the big bluegrass conference, and we're pushing bluegrass ambassadors um, as much as we are henhouse prowlers. Because uh, it, I think at the end of the day, the two entities complement each other and allow us to feel a sense of kind of fullness um when you play a bunch of shows that's one thing it's really gratifying but uh but doing educational programming really feels like this pushing giving back thing that we really i, I feel like if we haven't done a school program in a few months i start to uh, <laughs> need it yeah you know, yeah it, you, you've, you've got kids 
picking up and learning from what you're doing and inspi- inspired by seeing a band and it's super exciting and, and we all love it. Oh yeah. And I'll bet it's a, just a blast for the kids too. And to, and bluegrass is fun music. So it, it really is uplifting. And you imagine that uh, these kids who might not even have heard it before just, you know, start toe tapping and, and really feeling it and uh, maybe even go home and talk about it. Yeah, you know, totally. I, 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 you know, I kind of have a sense of the origin of the blues with um, uh, uh, Robert Johnson and, you know, all the th- all the stuff from the, you know, early 1900s and stuff. But I really don't have an understanding or knowledge of the origin of bluegrass. What is the history of bluegrass? Uh, hey, just so you know, your voice is pretty janky when you're speaking. And, and I'm just I'm more worried about your podcast than I am about. Uh, I can understand you, but it, it's definitely not radio worthy from our ears. Okay, are you hearing that, John? I've I've heard a couple moments where it kind of it almost sounds like there's some static of sort, some like some weird kind of interference. Okay, yeah, thanks for letting me know. I'll take I'll see how it yeah. how it translates. It sounds to the recording. better now. It's it, it's cleared up now. Okay, it could even uh, be a wire thing. I yeah, did I did totally move it, the it, I did move the cord around a little bit. Yeah, uh, but that, it, it sounded like as soon as I said that you did something that made it go away. Okay, good. Yeah, I un, I sort of stretched out a cord that was sitting here. Cool. cool. But uh, uh, history of bluegrass. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, in a in a nutshell, it's funny. I have to give a talk about this on Thursday night. Well, uh, I know you know this. It's on your um, it's on your website as being one of the subjects that you talk about. So, I right. uh, I figured it was you know you had some ready answer. <laughs> it's a lot yeah, broader I than mean, that, I, probably. Yeah, I mean, it, I think bluegrass. I think there's a reason that we uh, have been selected and why bluegrass is considered one of the strongest genres to work with cultural diplomacy programming because it really is this perfect picture of how American history came together to make a new genre of music. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that is because it really takes influences from all over the world. You know, it's, it's a cliche to call America a melting pot at this point. Uh, but it, it really, I think bluegrass is a genre of music that is, was born because of that melting pot, because there's, you know, I think I'm going to, of course, bring this up first as the banjo player. I mean, the banjo is without a doubt an African instrument. Oh, that's right. I remember hearing that during the slave trade. Right. Uh, and you know, there, uh, we've played in Africa with people that were playing the great, great, great grandfather of the banjo. And it, 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 I can play along with these guys with almost zero effort because the instruments are still connected uh, ethnomusicology, ethnomusicology wise. And so, uh, you know, there's African influences, there's tons of European influences with the mandolin that came from Italy uh, and, and the guitar, which probably came from the Middle East. Uh, there's a lot of Irish influence. All these different things came together. Uh, and, you know, people say Bill Monroe is the father of bluegrass. And I, I think that's not inaccurate, but Bill Monroe really just became 
the lens that focused everything and gave people a, a, a way to put a name on it. Right. Um, country music, country music was developing. There were these brother duos uh, from all over the country. And, you know, weirdly, Chicago has a lot to do with the Chicago bar dance uh, that happened on WLS long before bluegrass was a word. Uh, you know, it, it, Bill Monroe came up here from Kentucky to work uh, in, in East Chicago and he hated it and realized that people were making money on the WLS barn dance. And he, he and his brother uh, went back and we're like, we're not going to work in oil refineries. We're going to learn how to play music. Yeah. Uh, and that's, that's how he started the bluegrass boys. That was the name of his band. And it be they became so popular that people started calling the genre bluegrass. Um, but I mean, there's, there's so much more to it too. I mean, when Lester Flatt and Earl Scruggs joined his band, uh, that became the sound. And they say like 1945, late 1945, when they first recorded with that lineup, that became the genesis of, of bluegrass music. Uh, and so there's my nutshell description. There's so much more, but you know, it really took all these different cultural and musical influences to come here to America and all mix up together. And eventually bluegrass was one of the genres that came out of it. And you can look, you can see it directly in the instruments and you can hear it in the rhythm. There's tons of blues in bluegrass. Oh and, yeah. You know, which, mm -hmm. you know, clearly was Bill Monroe spoke openly about uh, you know, learning from this guy, Charles Schultz, who was a, a blues singer, a, a black blues singer. And there's tons of blues riffs in bluegrass. So it really is this kind of ultimate form of American music in that it represents all the different cultures that come together here. And, and perhaps even folk music. I mean, some of the lyrics of bluegrass are similar to folk songs. We're really telling a story and, and, uh, uh, you know, you know, providing uh, some drama to it with with the lyrics and the storytelling of the lyrics. Um, you know, also there's um, the, the, uh, the bluegrass is is evolving, con is continuing to evolve and and overlapping into other genres like like jam, uh, jam bands. I mean, then you have like guys like Billy Strings and and uh, you have you know groups like blue uh, green sky bluegrass or <laughs> yeah. i always get that one wrong absolutely uh you know yeah. and, and so it's um it's gone from this more traditional um the way you guys play it i would say um although i don't think you're limiting yourselves by any means and and it's then it's getting into these more extended jams and and uh, i mean you can go on and on with um with a particular song be, because of the different layers that you can extract from, from a, you know, from a certain melody. Um, so Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's, it, and it, you know, it's just, I, I keep going back to calling it toe tapping, but that is essentially what happens. <laughs> I mean, you know, you're really, you're feeling it through your whole body and it's, and you know, it's like each, each limb kind of has this different dance going on uh, when you're moving along to bluegrass because of the, all the different, um, sounds and it, you know, kind of the, the rolling aspect of it. So, um, you know, it, it seems like it's really getting a strong foothold in, um, uh, in, you know, newer modern day music as well and becoming more and more popular. 
So what a, what a pleasure. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it seems like every so often there's some, someone or someone or something comes along that helps like expand the popularity of the genre. Right. Um, right. You know, sometimes it's a movie like, um, Oh brother, where art thou? Oh uh, yeah. Sometimes it's, sometimes it's a band. Um, or, you know, when Jerry Garcia started playing bluegrass, you know, right. Playing, or when people realized you should say that he was also playing bluegrass in addition to playing for a, a huge rock and roll band. Um, it, it expanded the genre and and now you know like you were saying you have these uh you know billy strings i think is is might be one of those people now that's really ex- expanding the popularity of the genre and, and merging it with ears. merging and billy strings merging with all kinds of other musicians too you know he's coming on stage with with trey anastasio from fish and he's coming on stage mm-hmm. with dead and company and and bob ware and um, you know, he's being invited in and, you know, this, this, uh, type of music is being, is being brought into the fold. So it's, yeah. um, quite the pleasure. Um, you know, I know that with, uh, the bluegrass ambassadors, you, um, uh, you know, you do all kinds of things. You go into schools, uh, and you go in different countries and things and, um, I, you know, on your website, you have the trip to Uzbekistan and you have your trip to Czechoslovakia and the trip to Uganda. Uh, you've really gotten to do a lot of very exciting travel and and uh, introducing this music and, and American culture to different parts of the world. Um, is there a, a particular kind of of process that, that happens with that? I mean, is is there sort of a... Um, a particular plan that goes in when, you know, okay, we're going to Uganda. We're going to stop here first. We're going to stop there second. You know, how, how does that all get organized? We well, don't really have, oh yeah, go ahead, Ben. Yeah. Well, I was, I, you know, I, I think, I know what John's going to say and I agree. Like, uh, it, unless it's, unless it's a tour we've arranged ourselves, which uh, we've done one of those and are working on another one, but more often than not, it's, it's with the State Department, and they they do a lot of the organizing and make sure that they know what we're capable and comfortable doing, uh, and then they p- plug us into various different kinds of performances and stuff. But our job is, you know, we we are going there to celebrate American culture from the State Department's perspective. Uh, perspective but we're going there also to learn about the cultures that we're visiting and that's what bluegrass ambassador is about is is picking up these experiences learning the music learning the language and bringing it back home to the u.s uh and so we spend quite a bit of time before we go on one of these tours learning music from where we're going so because you know you got to imagine if they're taking us out to a remote village in uganda that the people that we're playing for might not have a whole lot of exposure to bluegrass music. Uh, and so if we're going to make a connection with them, we, sh- we need to know some music that they're familiar with. Uh, it's the same thing about any band that writes their own material. Like, unless you're really tightwad about it, you've got to learn some covers that people get excited about. <laughs> <they already know laughs> right. Right. Uh, to, you know, to keep them interested and, in the show. 
Yeah, just yeah. to like engage with them, and then hopefully they fall in love with your music. And that's we've seen that happen many times. You know, we 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 learned to play a, a song and sing it in Uzbek, and all of a sudden people are ten times more interested in the rest of our music because we've we've learned something about their music and their culture, and and that's what we've the overall lesson we've learned from all these tours is that all of a sudden we've got this tool subset to to connect with audiences in ways that we never had before and we try to bring that back home not just the music and those experiences but that actual like that that trick it's like if yeah. we can teach other people that like look all you got to do is learn if you got a neighbor that's from a country you've never been to learn a little bit about their country and all of a sudden you've got a best friend and it's that easy it's like you can connect with people you don't even share a language with if you learn a little bit of their favorite music and it's a really yeah. amazing tool that's a yeah and, really and just to expand on that if, if i made the, the, those songs are, i mean they're they're icebreakers and and mm -hmm. you know to get into a little, a little more detail of what, uh, of what ben was referring to is it doesn't only work with when you go to another country. It works when you go to a school to work with um, work with kids, and you you find a song that the kids like. We were we were with uh, young kids in uh, in elementary school, and we found a song that they would know. We we decided let's let's play uh, the it's corn song. You know, uh, that was the icebreaker for them. Or in a high school, we learned a Drake song. Um, <laughs> right, so, right, and yeah. and I mean, I listened to the one from when you went to Uganda, and you played Eddie Kenzo's song "Sitia Loss." I'm sure I'm mispronouncing yeah. that. And Sorry, you're close. And and you guys, you know, uh, you figured out the song and and create and learned how to play it uh, with your instruments and in your style. But with that, those words, that must have been, you know, for they must have thought you were from another planet. You know, um, <laughs> being very used to the the pattern that it's played in by uh, by um, uh, Eddie, and uh, and then to hear you guys play it, it must have really drawn them in and and you know opened up the. Sh I don't know if you opened up the show like that, but it it must have really drawn them in when you did something like that. <laughs> so, what were some of yeah. what were some of the favorite places you went um, as in, uh, bluegrass ambassadors? Uh, John, mm. do you want to go first? Sure. Um, man, there's so many. Uh, I think generally my favorite is, is uh, Pakistan. Oh, um, uh-huh. Uh, for a few reasons, it, it's, I mean, I think some of the most incredible mus musicians that we've ever s seen and, and played with uh, were on that tour. What kind of instruments <clears throat> did they play in Pakistan? Oh, man. Um, well, uh, what's what's Kavali music? It's it was the type of music that we we came across, um, and that's like this um, this we played with a group called Hamza Akram. Um, was that his name, Ben? Did I get that right? Oh yeah, you got it. You yeah, got yeah, it. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, he was the 26th generation of his family to do this Kavali music. Oh wow! Uh, and it's. Um, it's like a, it's very spiritual uh, music, um, and it's all improvisational too. 
which is amazing. Uh, they'll go on and, and he'll be singing for, you know, they'll do, it's almost, it's like the grateful dead of Pakistan <laughs> going on for, for, you know, 20 minutes on the same song. Um, but, uh, as instrumentation wise, um, Harmonium. Yeah, the, the harmonium um, and the tablas. Uh, yeah, tablas. And there was a great, I remember an incredible violin player um, that we played with. They called him the maestro. That was just, he was the best violin player in Pakistan and they just called him the maestro. Um, but, I, I, you know, just, just referring to that country in particular, uh, on top of the great musicians and the great food and the people were so welcoming. Um, and it, it, it was a, an experience where those that country does not have a good reputation around the globe, and they know it. Oh, uh-huh. um, and and they were very appreciative that that we were there and that we were really enjoying ourselves. And um, and I think we had a, a somewhat of a connection, but being a band from Chicago, which Chicago is also a city that has a a very negative reputation globally and nationally and globally um and you know we live in chicago we know that that reputation and we also know that it's not 100 percent accurate and we found that in pakistan uh that reputation that they have is not right not necessarily accurate either yeah yeah uh, we had a connection with the people there on that level as well that's that's a really good point you know when it comes to uh, having an impression of a place and and then um, having it dispelled by by actually meeting people who are from there and you know they're clearly the exception and probably there's far more exceptions than there are you know people that align to the rule this of being this terrible country. Um, Indeed, that uh, that does sound like a really cool place. Now, um, has your work as bluegrass ambassadors expanded your uh, ability to travel, um, you know, doing your work as hen house prowlers. So, yeah, for, I mean, I, uh, I mean, I do think we are being, uh, it, it's no, it's being noticed that we are very engaged in doing educational programs. Um, so you know we just did a festival in france uh, that i'm not sure i i feel like we probably would have been uh, hired to play the festival but they brought us over a week early to do an educational program um so i'm not sure it's hard to like zero in on what exactly what opportunities are coming because of of the nonprofit, sure. but it certainly is something we're working on uh, getting the word out about because that's the thing is like we you know whether it's internationally or here it's like if we're going to play a show on a friday night in your performing arts center why not have us come on wednesday and have us do school programming uh two days before the show uh because it's something we love doing i think we're really good at it and uh and it benefits the community around whatever event we're talking about. And, uh, and that's something we're, we're trying to get the word out about and feel like it's becoming an increasingly, it's a growing part of who we are and what we do. When you, uh, go and, and play overseas, do people seem to recognize your music? 
You know, when you're playing in a place in, um, in Czechoslovakia and you're on tour there as Hen House Prowlers, uh, are people coming to the show and they know your music? There, yeah. there's places yeah there i yeah, mean there are really places cool. there, there's po- there's bluegrass um there's there's pockets of bluegrass fans in europe um and we've done a lot of touring in the, the netherlands and germany and belgium um and uh they there are yeah there's bluegrass fans there and they they they've seen us they've heard us uh even before they come to the show so and Czech, Czech Republic is uh, its own thing. Like, yeah. uh, but like the bluegrass scene in the Czech Republic it rivals everywhere else in the world. Uh, there's a fascinating history there with how bluegrass became popular uh, in the 1960s because of the fall of communism. And, uh, and so now some of the finest bluegrass instruments are made in the Czech Republic. Uh, and the the bands that we play with when we play over there are just the the most amazing musicians you've ever met in your life. Well, it sounds so, like you've had experiences uh, or exposure to all kinds of instruments around the world. Um, that's pretty amazing. We take it kind of for granted, you know. We've got guitars, we've got banjos, we've got um, pianos, but there's so many different kinds of musical instruments around the world, and um, in your travels, you know, you kind of get to interact with people that, that know how to play them really well. That must be really kind of fascinating to, to see the differences and to see the similarities. Yeah. We feel like the luckiest guys in the world. Uh, you know, <laughs> definitely. definitely. We, we've been to 28 different countries as a band. Wow. Uh, and, and uh, you know, like when John and I started this band, it was just like, hey, let's get together on Tuesdays and try not to drink too much beer, uh, so that we so we can put on a decent show. And then, boom! Like seven years later, we're flying to Africa to play bluegrass music. Like, how did you guys? Just, how did you guys end up uh, getting associated with the Department of State in order to be bluegrass ambassadors like that? There's, so there's a, a, a yeah, go ahead. Go, you you go ahead. You go ahead. I'll, I can start. <laughs> um, there's a, a program called American Music Abroad uh, that we applied for. It, it's run through the State Department, uh, and they send anything bands any uh, anything deemed American music. Uh, they send around the globe on these tours. Uh, we applied um, and auditioned, and they put us on a tour uh, so that's where it starts yeah yeah and do they you know cycle different bands of the same genre through that program so i mean do you have there to like are. reapply every I, year or there's there's yeah. a there's a band i mean just for instance there's a band called Della may a great um all-female bluegrass band that that has done a few of these tours um they actually were doing they did some before we did so i remember asking them for advice before we went on our first tour of what you know what to expect and whatnot so i noticed that yeah go ahead ben sorry about that no i'm like that's all right so every year they i mean every year they start over and they audition bands and so they've got rules about like uh, you can only go uh on two tours in five years like they really do try to spread it around uh, but the, you know, what's what happened with us and 
I think with some other bands is that if you do it and you have a good and you have a good experience, you know, when you're a foreign service officer and you're working at an embassy in say, you know, anywhere in the world, say Israel, you work there for two years and then you go to a different post. They move people around every two years. And so if when you leave a good impression on these folks that are serving our country abroad, the next post they're in, they get sent to Russia or something and they're like, hey, we want to bring a band and do some cultural diplomacy programming. And they're in a meeting. Someone's like, hey, man, when I was in Israel two years ago, I worked with this band, the MS Prowlers. They were great. And boom, we get a call outside of the American Music Abroad program to go over and do that. Oh, that's okay. That's kind so, of how, uh-huh. how that kind of stuff started snowballing. And is that when you created the Bluegrass Ambassador uh, not-for-profit so that you could do this kind of thing, even if you're not doing it as part of the Department of State? Well, that's definitely one of the reasons we started it, was we were like, well, we don't want to just make a phone call with a lot of people doing this stuff. And we did our first program in the State Department uh, a couple of years ago in the Czech Republic and plan on continuing to do that as we move forward here. I, I you know, I just think that um, being able to move around the world like that and um, being able to uh, express and, and uh, enlighten people with different kinds of music and different cultures is, you know, really such a special uh, opportunity and uh, at the same time, you know, you get to see their country, you know, you get to experience right. um, their, their culture and their food. And, you know, you even prepare, you know, you show up already knowing some of the songs. Um, and, oh, Ben, I, I asked John and I know that he got, you know, he really enjoyed Pakistan. What was one of your favorite places to go? That's such a tough question. Um, and I feel like my answer changes every so often. Sure, I guess. Um, yeah. You know, I think one of the most memorable ones was probably Niger, uh, this country in West Africa. Um, and I think partly that's because we traveled so far across the country. And it's this country that very few people really get a chance to go to. And we hopped in this caravan and drove across the desert. 12 hours to make it oh. to this city called called Zinder, which is the farthest reaches of Niger and uh, and play in just this remote city that uh, that just Americans don't go to ever. And here we were uh, in the city and we we played with this band on this big stage and just got to see like I remember driving through the desert and seeing these I, I hate to focus just on this, but I like there were these huts. John, you remember seeing those, those oh, huts yeah. that people were living in that were made out of mud, and it was just like, oh my god! Like you just couldn't believe the 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 life lives you were seeing and how people live so differently from us. Uh, and even before we made that trek across the desert, which was literally a twelve-hour drive. Uh, I remember sitting outside of our hotel in Niamey, which is the capital, on the on the Niger River, looking at this bridge going into Niamey, and like there's cars, there's people, and then there's camels, and oh. uh, and you're just and you're just like, oh my god, like I am so far remote removed from everything I hold comfort, you know, like 
and uh, and like, it was just wild. And and Niamey has one flight a week out to get out of the country. Oh man! Uh, yeah, every Tuesday there's a United flight that comes in and picks people up, and like we flew. Well, there's one international flight a week. We flew in from somewhere else. Anyways, uh, right now my favorite country is Niger. <laughs> I'm sure tomorrow it'll be Mauritania. So. Yeah, that does sound like quite an adventure just to be able to <laughs> take part in something like that. So one yeah. of the things I um, I notice is that one of the um, classes or programs that you offer is is uh, creative writing and songwriting. And so that, you know, kind of made me curious about, you know, this, I think, is is Iron and, I'm sorry, uh, Lead and Iron. Is that your 10th uh, album? Uh, I've kind of lost count on that. Uh, I believe it is our 10th album. Okay, yes. great. Yes, it is our 10th. Um, and congratulations on that. Thank you. <laughs> uh, so, you know, you guys have done a significant amount of songwriting. What is this songwriting process? Does one of you, you know, come to the band, hey, I, you know, had this melody come up in my head and let's try to, you know, stretch it out or you come full formed or, or do you just, you know, just start picking and seeing what comes around you know, the four of you sitting down together, how, how does, how does your, how do your songs get written? All of the above. Uh, a lot of times, uh, it's a fully formed song that someone brings. And, uh, and a lot of times we sit down together and kind of workshop a song, um, that someone has brought and all of us, we all write songs, all four of us do. Um, so, there's a lot of songs to go around. Uh, and there's a lot of songs that don't make it onto albums <laughs> too. Uh-huh. Um, uh-huh. Or but just yeah, not that, yet. that's yeah. <laughs> maybe right. maybe in future um, albums. Yeah. Um and uh, you know, lately I, I've been doing a lot of co writing with different writers, which is something that's really I've really enjoyed. Is that um, songs at, for them or is it songs that, that then you'll bring back to the, the group? Like you, you work with, let me, let me, let me brag on John for this. Okay. Uh, thank you, Ben. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, John, John, like, so we, we signed with our first record label, uh, dark shadow recording for this, for lead and iron. And, uh, the producer, Stephen Stephen Mojan, who plays guitar with Sam Bush, he encouraged us to do some co-writing and gave us the, a couple of contacts and John's the only one who did it. Um, John reached out to this guy, Rick Lang, and started writing songs with Rick. And he also reached out to, um, who's who's the other guy, John? Uh, Tim Blanking? Stafford. Tim, and, yeah, Tim and, Stafford. Uh, and John Weisberger, too. Tim Stafford's the guitar player for Blue Highway, like one of the most legendary bluegrass bands ever. And now one of the songs that Tim and John wrote is going to be recorded by another band. Uh, so it's super incestuous in the bluegrass world about who sings whose songs, but John has really embraced it. And I'm really proud of how, how he's embraced it. Um, and it's making me think I should be co-writing. The rest of it, so. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it's hard to, it's hard at first because it's, it's, it's a whole different process and you have to really be willing to let go of, of what you had as an idea for a song. Uh, and be willing to, to trust your co-writer. Um, and in this case, I mean, these guys that I've been co-writing with, I mean, how could I not trust them? Uh, three of the people I've been co-writing with 
are nominated for songwriter of the year this year. Oh man. Wow. <laughs> That's great. Like, how do I not, how do I not trust? Yeah. Yeah. And run with an the, idea that I have. And know? in the process, so, you learn some new things, you know, I guess one of the yeah. hardest things is knowing when is the song done or, uh, you know, are there any changes that you can make and to, to get an input from somebody who, well, I mean, just in collaboration, you know, getting someone else's input really, you know, helps you to, to get to that, that end goal. It's Very much so. Yeah. yeah. And, and I mean, things come out in the song that you never would have thought of yourself. And, right. and it's, it's funny because sometimes it's like, like, well, but the very first co-write I did was with Rick Lang, uh, a song called subscription to loneliness, which is it's, it, you know, it, I, I brought this song to him. I had verse, I had some verses written. I didn't have a, any, I didn't have a chorus and I showed it to Rick and he completely changed the song. I, you know, with, you know, the two of us together, but he really like tore it apart mm -hmm. and we turned it into something completely different. And honestly, I didn't like, I, 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 I you really like liked your own song. version. <laughs> and I'm like, I liked those. I really liked those verses that I had written. You know, I, I kind of felt kind of sad about that, but you know, I'm like, I got to trust this guy. He's, he's a very experienced songwriter. Uh, and the next thing you know, it's, it's recorded on our new album. Our, our producer, Stephen Motion loved it and wanted to record it on our album. And it was one of the singles for, that we released. And, so, you know, it, I learned a lot from that. Um, oh, that's so, but, great. But I mean, all that aside, I'm, we're all, everyone in this band writes songs. Uh, and uh, I mean, Ben and Chris and Jake are all incredible songwriters in their own right. Uh, so, you know, if you look at the, our last, this album and our previous album, The, uh, the Departure, there's songs from all of us that just stand on their own. Right. Well, uh, I'm, talking to Ben Wright and John Goldfine from Hen House Prowlers. And um, you guys are coming to the Acorn Theater in Three Oaks. And I want to say that's happening uh, October 27th. October 27th yep. at the Acorn yes, Theater yeah. in Three Oaks. And very much looking forward to seeing you guys and having you come to town. I, I know it's not the first time at the Acorn, um, but that's because, you know, we just love you around here. And, and there's a you know, growing uh, support for bluegrass around the country and certainly in uh, the Harbor Country area. And we're very much looking forward to seeing you guys. And thanks again for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having us, man. Thank you, John. Well, that was quite the treat. Always a pleasure. And um, that was... Uh, uh, Henhouse Prowlers, Ben Wright and John Goldfine from Henhouse Prowlers. You're listening to Johnny's Secret Stash. I'm John Goldman, and you're listening to us on Radio Harbor Country, WRHC 106.7 FM out of Three Oaks and WRHZ 93.5 out of Sawyer. And to close us out, I'm going to play another song from Lead and Iron. I think I might have mispronounced that earlier and called it Lead and Run, but uh, that's my eyesight. And... Uh, uh, now, I know, Lead and Iron came out just last week. So here's my little flower to close us out. Good night, everybody.
Flower. 